0: ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard today's edition of human events daily powered by turning point usa the first show of 2022 officially top stories today well a ccp spy ring has been caught stealing monoclonal antibody research all the way back in 2015. we're going to break it down next a seattle antifa militant has been criminally charged as well as tied to ms-13 yes that ms-13 third half a million new users have joined Getter after Joe Rogan and Dr. Malone signed up for the uh, for the app and finally a Hollywood consultant has admitted that Glee started the wokeness epidemic and human events has the story all this in more head human events daily. Well, a former GlaxoSmithKline scientist has pled guilty on Monday to conspiring to steal trade secrets from the drug manufacturer to benefit. A Chinese pharmaceutical company that has ties to the CCP. Yes, this one comes all the way from my own backyard, suburban Philadelphia, Upper Marion, Malvern, PA, GlaxoSmithKline. Now, they are a British pharmaceutical company, but they have massive research and development facilities just outside of Philadelphia, and that is specifically where the CCP spy ring, and this is, by the way, the third spy that they found there was caught. Now, this one has pled guilty. There are other cases that are on ongoing. Here's the the description. We have this from Reuters by way of the Department of Justice. We're here today to announce three separate cases highlighting the ongoing threat posed by Chinese economic espionage and research theft in the United States. First, the arrest today of a Harvard University professor for lying about his participation in a Chinese foreign recruitment program. Second, this morning we have unsealed a separate indictment of a Chinese national working as a scientific researcher at Boston University who failed to mention on her visa application that she is also a lieutenant with the People's Liberation Army. Finally, this office has indicted another Chinese national for trying to smuggle vials of biological material out of the United States to China and lying about it to federal investigators. Lucy Shi, 44 entered her plea in Philadelphia court becoming the fourth person to admit wrongdoing in connection with a scheme to misuse GSK's trade secrets to benefit Renopharma, which receives financial support from the Chinese government. Uh, Sentencing is going to come out. The case was announced back in 2016 and is among several the Justice Department has pursued in recent years amid heightened concern about Chinese theft of US trade secrets. Now listen to some of the details. According to the indictment, from 2012 through 2016, she and another GSK scientist, Yu Xue, stole confidential information about GSK products that were under development and provided the data for use. For Renopharma, so Renopharma is that CCP-controlled company back in China. Prosecutors say that Shui, along with co-defendants Tao Li and Yan Mei, created Renopharma in Nanjing, China, to market and sell the stolen information as its own research to obtain patents for their versions of Renopharma's products. And you have to understand what's going on now. One of the items, and we are told that was stolen from them was research that GSK here in the United States was conducting into monoclonal antibodies all the way back into 2015. Now, I think we realize uh, by today the importance of monoclonal antibodies and really how monoclonal antibodies has become one of the most ubiquitous uh, treatments, of course, for COVID-19. So all the way back in 2015, The CCP was working with people, was working with these government-backed entities to come to the US to steal this biomedical research, to target facilities like GSK in the Philadelphia area for their spy rings to go after this stuff. And so my question is, do we understand what's going on and are we even going to take this a little bit seriously? But here's the problem, right? Here's what happens, and I've seen this time and time again over the past 10 years, and even when I was in the intel community focusing on the. this problem set, is we treat this like a law enforcement problem. What do I mean by that? They'll say, okay, well, we caught three of them, we're gonna put these three away, we're gonna indict them, they're gonna go to jail, they're gonna have to pay their fine, et cetera, and that's gonna be it. But the question is, they're not looking at it as a criminal activity, they're looking at it as an espionage activity. What is the FBI doing to actually go after—by the way, this is the real purpose and the real job of the FBI. It's not to go after the Meemaw, MAGA Mimaw's, right, from January 6 and all the other stuff that's going on, you know, uh, going in and infiltrating these militia groups to, you know, entrap people and everything else up in Michigan. No. We want to know what's going on in terms of counterintelligence. Are you actually doing anything about the CCP spy rings? Okay, great. You caught some guys that were stealing stuff back in 2015. Wonderful. That's three people. Where did they come from? Where did they get their orders? Who else was in their network? Who are their handlers? Who were they talking to? Are you conducting any research into that? Or as we've typically seen with the DOJ and FBI, they narrowly focus on arresting a few people. They put, you know, they get a couple of guys in bracelets and they say, well, Case closed, now it's off to go do some political stuff and we've gotta go mess with some conservatives. This is the problem right here. This is the problem of our day. You've got CCP spy, spy rings operating throughout the United States and only once in a while do we ever see the FBI taking any action against them. Well, folks, I always wanted to say thank you so much for continuing to support our show, to support the work we do right here at Human Events Daily. By the way, thanks to you, We were closing out the year. As we were closing out the year, we went and looked at Apple Politics. We closed out 2021 as the number two podcast on all of Apple Politics. So thank you so much for your support. And by the way, if you want to continue your support, you go to MyPillow.com. You use promo code POSO. You get the towels. You get the slippers. You get everything else, the fantastic items. Look, I know that some people got MyPillow stuff for Christmas. But if you're feeling a little bit jealous, if you're feeling a little bit left out, if you've got MyPillow FOMO. Then go to MyPillow.com, use promo code POSO, and treat yourself. Just treat yourself. You deserve it. (laughs) Check it out. But we're going to get into this next story to someone who also is getting what they deserve. A Seattle Antifa militant has been criminally charged, and her past ties to MS-13 have been revealed. This is completely insane. But folks, we are going back to everyone's favorite location, my favorite location, of course, from the summer of 2020, the CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, yes, and the Seattle Police Department's East Precinct. Now, last spring, in the spring of 2021, there was sort of a, uh, a a revanchionist push, if you will, where the militants of Antifa in Seattle were actually trying to retake the Chaz. What happened during that period? Christina V. Devitt, a 34-year-old, according to Postmillennial, according to uh, a 34-year-old Antifa militant from Seattle, Washington, pled not guilty to criminal charges on Monday. She was charged after allegedly causing significant damage to the Seattle Police Department's East Precinct last spring. What did she do? She posted, she pushed and rolled a large dumpster directly into the garage doors of the East Precinct during violent demonstrations. While doing that, she inhibited officers' abilities to effectively respond to emergency calls directly impacting members of the community in critical situations. So she was locking the garage door so if any police vehicles were trying to get out of the 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 precinct, essentially, to go and respond not only to the protest, but God forbid, if there were 911 calls or some crime were happening anywhere in that specific vicinity of the precinct, well, they wouldn't be able to come because she allegedly had put this dumpster in the front of it. But listen to this person as they go out and the unhinged ranting that exhumes from her. So I went out to Chaz in 2020. I spent time there day and night with my brother. We were out there for almost an entire week. And something that we saw that occurred at night in the Chaz, because how did the Chaz get, you know, established in the first place? Well, that was because the mayor at the time, Mayor Jenny Durkin, she had ordered this same precinct, by the way, that we're talking about here to completely abandon their posts. The police left and Chaz was essentially turned over to the mob. Well, it wasn't just turned over to the mob, though, because protesters were the ones who started it. But then eventually criminal gangs came in at night because they realized, hey, if the police aren't here, we can go there and do crimes. Right. And so we saw drug gangs that were coming in at night that were doing deals and that were working out in the open. It was kind of like a season of The Wire. And here's something that's very interesting that I don't know if people would know. I mean, you think. Seattle, you're thinking Pacific Northwest, you're thinking one of the major cities up there, you're not necessarily thinking that this place would be a hub for MS-13. But listen to this. The same Antifa militant, this Christina Devitt, all the way back in 2003, testified as a prosecution witness in a murder trial involving MS-13, one of the world's most brutal street gangs, internationally known for their violence and their firm murders. Devitt testified that she was at the home of MS-13's Joel Soto Rodriguez when he and two other gang members, Freddie Dominguez and Rahel Perez-Maya, abruptly left a party to take care of a dispute with a rival gang in White Center, a suburb of West Seattle. A bystander that witnessed the confrontation named Margaret Emmett, who tried to make peace between the two groups, who was shot and killed by Perez-Maya during an exchange of gunfire. Both Perez Maya and Dominguez pled guilty to second-degree murder. The jury found Soto Rodriguez guilty of first-degree murder after it was determined that he had supplied the other gang members with firearms and encouraged them to carry out violence against rival gangs. This is where this individual, Christina Debit, comes from. This is where somebody who is now a very prominent member of Seattle Antifa that was the same group that's responsible for the establishment of the CHAZ, the violence we saw there, the murders that we saw in CHAZ, the ones that, by the way, have still not officially been solved. They are cold cases at this point, but they're still open on the books of the Seattle Police Department. So Christina Devitt, you were helpful in this murder case all the way back in 2003. So are you gonna do the right thing? Are you going to come forward now and testify? Who was it that committed the shootings in CHAZ in 2020? that may be your best way out of this. Well, for weeks now, I've been telling you guys about the new platform, Getter. This is a platform out there that I've been using for a while. I've been encouraging people to get on. And I said, what did I say? I said, Twitter is censoring more and more and more. They are swinging the band hammer left and right over there. You never know which day could be your last. And the same is true, of course, for Facebook, where they have admitted in court that their fact checks are not fact checks, they're really just their opinions. So this isn't a question about who's right or who's wrong, who's factual or who's unfactual. It's about who gets to talk, who gets to have a voice in the digital public square of our time. Well, Getter is a way to establish your presence and to have a lifeboat away from that world. And I gotta tell you, my engagement's really up on Getter lately. I've been posting there a lot more. I'm certainly gonna be putting this podcast on Getter. And a huge shout out to everybody uh, that's been following Human Events Daily on Getter and is listening to it from, you know, having clicked on the link from Getter right now. Listen to this headline, over half a million new users have signed up on Getter just this week after Joe Rogan and Dr. Robert Malone joined the platform. Now what happened, like the whole saga, and I think some people have seen this, they might understand it. So Dr. Malone, who was a guy that is credited for being, you know, he says, some people say he's the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. Other people say that he contributed to it, but the fact of the matter is, the guy has an extensive resume doing research into mRNA, and he was absolutely there at the very time that these types of uh, treatments were created. He was one of the founding fathers of mRNA as a vaccine and as a treatment as well. He goes on Joe Rogan. The day that they record their interview, he gets banned from Twitter. Then the interview drops and it goes super viral across the entire internet, specifically on Twitter. And there was one clip that got millions and millions of views where he was talking about something called mass formation psychosis. Take a listen. From basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s, you know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it. So Rogan, after all that, decides, look, if if Twitter's gonna you know go and suspend Malone, then I'm gonna go on Getter because that's where Malone went. So Rogan goes on Getter, then Tim Pool's going on Getter, Stephen Pinker's on Getter now. You're getting all sorts of people: Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein from the IDW are going over there, right? You are now getting a flood of people, and then of course with Rogan and his podcast, and just really it it became this sort of snowball kind of moment where it's not even so much about just the fact that it was Rogan; it was just this idea that the floodgates opened and people said, you know what? but it's time to go out and do exactly what I've been saying day in, day out here. We're going to establish our presence. We're going to make a lifeboat. We're going to go to a new place. We're going to be safe from these arbitrary judgments. And by the way, Getter has a terms of service too. And I saw some people that were complaining about that and they say, well, hey man, you know, Getter is not just this and that and everything else. Look, Getter has a term service. You have to have a terms of service if you're going to be on the apple play store or the google play store or uh, the google app store it, it is what it is it is what it is you need to be able to play by the rules but at the same time what they're saying is as long as you follow the terms of service they are not going to be arbitrary bans from what twitter would call this like community guidelines kind of thing or this crap about you've operated multiple accounts like yeah like okay i have an account for you know, my, that's my personal account. I have an account for this show. I have, you know, my wife has signed into my account. You know, there's there's multiple accounts going on and we share them. I don't get that that's why an issue. Of course, that's not what Twitter actually cares about. What they actually care about is, again, as I said before, who is allowed to wield sovereignty over freedom of speech in the public square? So now over half a million people have gone on there. Uh, who else? Dinesh is on there. You got Rogan, you got Malone. They also banned on Twitter Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene because what did she do? She shared information from the VARES database, and she had a question about it, and they banned her on Twitter. And they said, well, you've crossed your, you know, you've broken the three strikes rule or whatever that is. They keep coming up with these arbitrary things to become as reasons to just knock off people that they don't like. So Getter is absolutely weeping reaping (laughs) reaping the windfall of this and so make sure you go there and sign up so we talk about wokeness a lot and last week i interviewed james lindsay dr james lindsay and we talked about the academic underpinnings of wokeness where did this come from how is it that it infected seemingly our entire society right all the way through through our news institutions through corporate America, literally through the military? How did all of these ideas just suddenly permeate our entire culture here in the West? Did it all come just from these rogue academics at some fringe conferences back in the 1980s? I mean, in all seriousness, right? If you're, you're, you're not Dr. James Lindsay, maybe James is listening to this. So James, if you're listening, this doesn't apply to you, but to everybody else, have you actually tried to sit and read a critical race theory academic paper? it is gobbledygook. It is completely insane. It is ridiculous. Nobody is sitting and reading these things and saying, ah, yes, this is what I'm going to base my entire life around. No. And so I've always said that there's something that's missing a little bit from the story about where critical race theory came how it became to have so much influence in our society uh where did wokeness come from how did that and so the social justice movement become so incredibly large so incredibly fast and then i got a phone call from somebody who's a human events writer and they told me something they said poso do you remember the tv show called glee back in the mid 2010s i'm like Yeah, I remember Glee. You guys remember Glee, right? I am going to create an environment that is so toxic. So it was the show that was out there and it was this sort of proto-woke kind of thing and a lot of this stuff actually stems, it turns out, from Glee. But what people don't realize is that show at one point had over 30 million viewers. Many of them, by the way, were in high school. Many of them were teenagers. They were in their prepubescent years in some cases. They were the younger millennials who were watching this stuff, and this was one of the first times that they ever came into contact with identity politics. Well, this contributor, Bill Harrell, he found a Tumblr post where one of the main fans, the leaders of this, you know, it's called the fandom, the online fandom on Tumblr, who is now a Hollywood consultant, of course, admitted that this is actually where one of the biggest starts of the influence of wokeness came from in the 2010s. And look what she wrote. We fought its wars until it was too late, until it was nothing but a distorted parody of reality, a cracked mirror. You asked for history. There's no history. It's only a gray face telling you to destroy yourself. It's not history. It's blood. Listen to this. You have no idea where the suffering came from. You don't know where the discourse started. Where do you think the word problematic came from? Where do you think the representational anger came from? It came from Glee. And it came from the toxic fandom surrounding Glee. So go to humanevents.com. Check out this this article, and so I was tweeting about this, and I saw some people were a little hesitant, they were like, really, Glee is where all this started from? I say 100%. I think that that hit at a time, keep in mind this is pre-Netflix when this show comes out, massive, massive reach, reach, massive, massive influence, probably one of the last big broadcast network TV shows prior to really the advent of streaming. And it also hits at a time that social media is becoming ubiquitous. You get social media, you get wokeness, or proto-wokeness of Glee, and you get this massive amount of push behind it from, of course, the Fox TV network. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my other question to test the theory. If you had any friends who were super fans of Glee, super fans of Glee? Are they still friends with you now? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for Human Events Daily today. Remember our motto to you: Be good, be brief, be gone. This is the Cliff Notes of your news day. This is where we are giving you all the news you need to know faster than anybody else, with you know a little bit of a uh, little bit of analysis, maybe some humor, maybe a little acerbic wit that's thrown in. But one thing that we always do before we leave you is we give you a moment of history. Today's moment of history, January 5th, 1933, the Golden Gate Bridge began construction. Probably the most famous bridge in the entire world. A fine example of American ingenuity in a city that is now lost due to wokeness under the influence of shows like Glee and everything else that was being pushed in terms of political correctness throughout the 90s. An amazing city and an amazing feat of what Americans can do when they put their shoulder to the wheel. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.